This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, what's happening? Week 10 edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast. Sports Radio 610, alongside, as usual, the Hall of Famer, my good friend, the senior Texans columnist for SportsRadio610.com, and of course, you can find his work on GallerySports.com as well, John McClain. John, how are we doing this afternoon? Sean, it's great. I listened to uh, Baker and Jim Crane talk about every subject that was asked during a 30-minute news conference with the media, and uh, they said things that get you really fired up already about next season, about the off season. And so I was pumped anyway, but after listening to them and I thought uh, Crane did a really good job uh, addressing the James Click situation, Verlander situation without revealing too much, which is uh, usually a job of the general manager. In this case, the job of the owner. John, let's go through the, the, the three big names that everybody was wondering, will they be back in 2023? One of them's taken care of. So Dusty is done. That's the purpose of that press conference was to to announce that Dusty's coming back. Dusty was sitting there right to Crane's left. So I don't think there's too much to hash out there with Dusty. He's going to be back in 2023. He said that maybe he comes back beyond that, but the deal he's signing is just for 2023. The other two are interesting ones. Um, obviously, James Click and Justin Verlander. Let's start with Click, who's in Vegas. As you and I are recording this, he's in Vegas for the general manager's meetings and he's operating without a contract right now. His contract expired on Halloween on October 31st. I guess this isn't abnormal. I'm abnormal. I guess it's, it's not unprecedented. Let me put it that way for general managers in baseball to be operating in between contracts like this. The athletic had a long article, even Brian Cashman's at the GM meetings right now without a contract, you know, they're, they're working on it. Click is working on it with the Astros. But we know that the offer, it sounds like, according to reports from Bob Nightingale, is going to be for 2023, and that's it. If you had to guess, do you think James Click is the GM for this baseball team in 2023? Well, Nightingale said uh, on uh, Tuesday that they'd accept it. And everybody denied that James Click has accepted the contract. And and, uh, 
they asked Jim Crane about it, of course, and Crane said they sat down and talked a while before he left for Las Vegas, and he'd done a good job. They wanted him back, and when he got back, they would sit down again and, and resume the discussions and then complete the discussions, which means he'll either sign or he won't, and I would think Click wouldn't have a tough time getting another job, but there's not a lot of vacancies for general managers, and the Astros certainly wouldn't have a hard time getting a, a replacement who wouldn't like to come in here as a general manager, as long as you were not a guy that demands complete control and final authority because uh, Jim Crane's involved in a lot of those decisions and, and he has to approve the big decisions. And so I think it'd be pretty easy for him to get another uh, general manager, but Click's 44 years old. You know, Dusty's going to be 74 in June. He's not going to get a multi-year deal, and he's satisfied with that. But Click, after three years in which they had the second-best record in baseball to the Dodgers and won a World Series, reached one, and then came within one of another, you know he wants a multi-year contract. He told the media that he and his family love it here. But I don't blame him not wanting to work on a one-year deal. And I thought it was really interesting, Sean, the way Crane talked about he's going to give rings and bonuses to everybody in the organization, but he presses people. Mm -hmm. He said, I want everybody to improve. I need to improve. So he kind of keeps the pedal to the metal on people in the organization, and he thinks that's one reason they've done such a good job of winning and it extends beyond the players to others in the organization. And so he said they're already working on next year, but until he gets a decision on click, it's still going to be a controversy and at the top of the news uh, locally and nationally. Yeah. I, you know, the click thing, I, I don't feel as strongly as you do, John, that he, you know, that, um, that, you know, click because he's the GM of this team that, that he's that he'd be done wrong if he weren't back or that he needs a multi-year deal or things like that. Like I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of GMs I think that probably could have a that, that could have looked over this team. Click did a good job putting the bullpen together. His trade deadline moves this year were not very good. I thought they were better last year when he went and got Graveman and, and he got Montero last year who didn't pitch until this year. I click is click is I can go either way with click. I, I if he's back great, if not, then I feel like they're, they're going to find somebody. I also don't, I, I don't know that I, I feel as strongly as you do that anybody would take the job. I think Jim Crane has a certain management style that you've got it to your point, John, he keeps the pedal to the metal. That's not for everybody. Um, that management style. I, I, I don't know that it would be super easy to find somebody. Um, I think it's a great job. If you can, if you can deal with that type of management style, for sure. The Verlander thing, John, let's get into that before we get into some of the football stuff. Um, I do feel like they don't need James Click in place to get this thing done with Verlander because it, it got done with Crane last time. This is a Crane and Verlander deal, John. And what did Crane, you listen to the press conference, Crane said today they're they're, they're going to do their best to bring Verlander back. Uh, they haven't, he said, until uh, 4 o'clock Thursday to talk to him. And then if he opts out of his contract for $25 million in 2023 or he signs uh, a new deal, an extension, uh, I see everybody keep talking about extension, but when your contract's up, it's a new contract, not an extension. And so mm -hmm. if he, if they get it done before he opts out, then it's an extension. If not, and he tests the waters and he still comes back here, it'd be a new contract. I feel, Sean, that if they don't get it done 
and he looks around baseball, he's going to be gone. He's going to win the Cy Young Award. He's going to win Comeback Player of the Year. And I think I talked to you and Seth Payne about this on 610, that an owner like Steve Cohen of the Mets, if he loses Jacob deGrom, who's opting out, give me Verlander over to Grom who's missed so many games the last two or three years with injuries. You know, would you commit $40 million a year to a pitcher that might give you 15 to 17 starts? I don't think so. And I could see a guy like that taking heat from the fans and the media saying, okay, well, I'm going to go out here and sign this, this uh, Cy Young award winner who's had a better career than DeGrom, certainly longer and bring him in here, replace him, and everybody would rejoice in New York and New Jersey over Cohen making that move with the Mets. Yeah, I wonder, John. Like, I, it's it doesn't matter now. And the Astros won the World Series, so who cares about what I'm about to say? But I, I think if if Crane had a crystal ball and he knew that Fromber was going to turn into what he turned into this year, and that Luis Garcia would be a 15 game winner, and uh, Urquidy would be a 13-game winner, and Christian Javier might turn into the best pitcher out of all of them eventually. With I mean, he at his at any of those guys, if you're asking me the most dominant moments of any of those of that crew, you know the kind of the Latino pitchers there that they got on the cheap cheap. Javier had the most dominant individual performances along the way. Fromber had the most consistent year with all those quality starts. But where I'm going with this is if if Crane had known that that's what all those four guys were going to turn into, plus eventually you'd get McCullers back and Hunter Brown would be in the mix and all that stuff, I, I wonder if he would have paid Verlander $25 million for this year, even with him winning the Cy Young. You know, I, I think they, there's a chance they would have won the World Series even without Justin Verlander this year. It's crazy. Well, if they had gotten to the World Series, they would have won it without him. He won, but he struggled. Yeah, I believe within two years, Hunter Brown will be their best pitcher. I watched every pitch he threw. I watched every pitch every pitcher threw, mm-hmm. and I just can't tell you how I am on Hunter Brown. Yeah, and uh, with with Fromber and Javier and Hunter Brown and then Garcia and Yerkiti and McCullers, they they could be so good now. Uh, when Crane talked in that news conference about a couple of bats for more pop, okay, does that mean if Yulee's nothing come back, he was not asked about Yulee, then they got to have a first baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they need Vasquez as is a free agent. You expect he'd be gone because he's going to go somewhere where he can be a full-time catcher again, like he was in Boston. Martin Maldonado turns 37. So they got to have another catcher unless they think Corey Lee can step up. He certainly didn't when he had the chance this season. But uh, a thing they got to decide, I think Chaz McCormick gave them everything they could give them. And uh, this thing with Josh Myers, I just don't see it. Uh, that they talk about there, they still think he has potential. Now, with the way Pena stepped up, maybe, but I want him to get a center fielder. And I've been saying this from the deadline. There were reports they tried to get Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, and they wanted one of the starters like your Kitty and more. If they get Verlander back, I would certainly trade one of those pitchers if I could get a good center fielder who can hit, who's under a multi-year contract. Yeah, they they're gonna John, they're they're gonna have to move one of these pitchers. I mean, they, if 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 Verl, especially if Verlander comes back, you know what I mean? Like they're 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 gonna have no choice but to move uh one of the one or more of these pitchers. They're gonna have if Verlander comes back, John and Lance McCullers is healthy. You know, which is always a coin flip, but Lance was healthy at the end of the year. 
they've got seven guys, right? I mean, if I'm counting up, they've got seven guys. They've got seven guys, John, that I think would individually, any of them would be clearly in the top three in most starting rotations, probably in the top two in a lot of starting rotations. And they've got multiple guys on this staff that would be the ace for a lot of teams, John. the front, Verlander's the ace because he's a Cy Young winner. Fromber would be the ace on about 25 other teams in the league. And I think Lance McCullers, when, he, when he's healthy, would be the ace on probably a half the teams in the league. I think same with Javier. Uh, might be on it. Might be an ace on more teams than Lance. I think he's a better pitcher than Lance right now. And Garcia and Urquidy certainly would be among. And Hunter Brown would be, you know, sort of that young, intriguing second or third starter on a good team. It's crazy. I've never seen a team with so much pitching, John. It's it's absolutely incredible. And as Crane pointed out in that news conference, they were very fortunate on injuries this season. Yeah. And um, I think they could get the most for Garcia's second most for Urquidy. I would not trade Hunter Brown. At, I wouldn't even nope. consider it. Can you imagine what they could get if they called somebody and said, uh, hey, uh, Christian Javier might be available. What would you give us? Can you imagine what teams – might fork over for him. Now, I wouldn't, they're not going to do that either. But uh, another good thing about these pitchers, they're under control, except for yeah. Verlander. Yep. So they've got them for multi-years, and so that's even more attractive. But you can't go into next season, I don't think, with seven starters because pitchers got to pitch. Starting pitchers have to pitch. And the way they're set up, they don't really have long relief. You know, now Montero, he mentioned Montero trying to get him back. But uh, and Crane's going to have money to operate. He's going to have plenty of money, uh, depending on what he gives to Verlander if they bring him back, uh, to be under the luxury tax. So uh, I don't know what the free agent situation is for center fielders, first baseman, and catchers. And you know, out they're going to play Alvarez in left field. So who's going to be the DH? Yeah, no, it's 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 going to be a really interesting offseason. I don't feel other than Verlander, there's there's nothing that there's nothing that sitting out there that, you know, that that flips significantly. And hell, even if Verlander leaves, it doesn't really flip significantly the future of this baseball team in the near term or the long term there. John Verlander could leave and they'll still be the favorites to win the American League that next year. I, I firmly unless Verlander goes to the Yankees and he's directly going to the next closest competitor in the American League. Well, then, then maybe it flips, you know, because you, then you got Cole and Verlander at the top of that rotation. But, man, what a position to be in. It's really remarkable what they've built. Yeah, maybe he'll go to the Dodgers, and then when they play him in the World Series, the, uh, they wouldn't be intimidated at all. That's right. Verlander in the World Series. It's amazing to me. Dodgers have already been established as the favorite. And as I saw somebody write, this is the Dodgers' time of year. When that was me, favored. John. Was that, that was, you? Well, that, that was, was me. Gen- that was a genius line, and uh, because that's right, this is the Dodgers' time of year to win worlds, uh, one World Series, in a COVID uh, abbreviated season. Based on how good they are, they remind me of the great Braves team with three yeah. Hall of Fame pitchers winning one World Series. Big disappointment. Yep, big time. All right, let's let's shift gears, John. The Texans are back at it after their. Quasi bye week last week. So we all got to sit and watch football on Sunday. Kind of depressing watching teams play around the NFL going, oh my God, I can't believe the Texans play in the same league with um with with these teams. Um nevertheless, uh we we trudge forward and the Texans face off against the Giants in New York or in New Jersey 
um, on Sunday. So we do the pregame six-pack, John. The pregame six-pack to get people ready for Giants and Texans. Giants are a a six-and-a-half-point favorite last I checked, which is really interesting because at six and two, they got the same record as a lot of really good teams, but they've been winning a ton of close games this year. And Daniel Jones, I think Brian Dayball has done a really good job of kind of managing around Daniel Jones's deficiencies. It's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do with him in the offseason because they didn't exercise his fifth-year option. Um, but let's get it started, John. Pre-game six-pack storylines, people, and things involved in this game. What is your first one? Damian Pierce going against a run defense that's given up 125 yards of game rushing. You know, we know how bad the Texans are with 180, but the Giants are not real good against the run. And Pierce was tremendous against the Eagles. I was stunned that he was able to run as well as he did, and he got good blocking. And if he can get good blocking again, and those guys up front are kicking some butt, plus the tight ends and receivers, he might be able to have a 100-yard game, which would, number one, give him a whole lot more publicity than he's been getting with the New York, New Jersey media. But also, uh, it would keep them close. You know, when you're running a lot, you basically don't run away with a with a game unless there's a lot of turnovers. And the Texans have not committed a lot of turnovers. But I think Damian Pierce could keep them in position to have a chance to win in the fourth quarter, which they've had in all but one game, but have only been able to pull it off once. Yep, I think Pierce is a good one. This is, I was surprised, John. I haven't watched a ton of Giants football this year. I've watched a little bit. Um, I was surprised how statistically – mediocre they are defensively I, I you know you figure a team that's kind of trying to manage around its quarterback and is built on its run game with Saquon Barkley and I know that there's some individual performers on that defense we'll get to I'm sure in this six-pack I was surprised they're 24th in DVOA on football outsiders defensive efficiency just overall defense I was surprised how how um how poor they were uh defensively statistically at least um to that end my <clears throat> my uh first pregame six-pack item is Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle out of Clemson, who was actually drafted in the same draft as um, as Daniel Jones back in 2019. That was back when Clemson, I think, had three guys drafted in the first round, Wilkins and Cle- uh, Cleveland Farrell, um, and, uh, and Dexter Lawrence was drafted by the Giants that year. He's always been pretty good in the run game. He's kind of added pass rushing and pressure from the interior to his game this year. He's got four sacks. He's got an over 90 grade on pro football focus, which is, you know, it's like an A uh, for his pass rushing and win rate and things like that. He's been really, really good. This is another game. This is the third game in a row where Kenyon Green as a rookie is going to get baptized here against high level interior defensive linemen. It was Jeffrey Simmons two games ago. It was Fletcher Cox last week. And now Dexter Lawrence, who's playing at a very, very high level for the Giants. So the interior of the offensive line for the Texans, John, being able to open up things for Damian Pierce, who you mentioned in your item there, um, and also protect Davis Mills. We know oftentimes that pass rush that comes from up the middle is just as disruptive as a pass rush coming from the blind side because you're not allowed, you, it doesn't allow you to step into your throws. So Dexter Lawrence versus the interior of the Texans offensive line for me. They did a really good job against Fletcher Cox, and then Hargrave killed him with three sacks. Yeah. And he led, and he led the Eagles in tackles. You never see a defensive lineman lead a team in tackles, and Pittsburgh got rid of him. And so uh, Quisenberry has not been playing very well. He's taken step back after an encouraging start. Kenyon Green is playing really well. AJ Can missed a game, came back. So uh, I think they've got a. 
they'll focus on Lawrence the way they focused on uh, Fletcher Cox, but you got to be aware of everybody else. Um, my second one is Davis Mills has to outplay Daniel Jones. And Jones has six touchdowns, two, two interceptions. He hadn't turned the ball over, but he hadn't won a lot. He's rushed for almost 400 yards, three touchdowns, has one 100-yard game. Mills, 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Mills has got to not turn it over. He's already thrown more interceptions than he threw. Other than Buffalo last year, he had four. He ended up with 10. He's already got eight through eight games, putting him on a pace for 17. That's not good enough. He needs to go through a game in which he doesn't throw an interception and hope that Jones does. But if he allows Jones to outplay him, then they're going to get beat without question. I don't think this game is going to be a blowout. I think the spread's about right because the Texans have played well on at, at hall, on the road. And, and I don't think the Giants are a great team. I don't think they're as good as most 6-2 teams are. But uh, I think Mills – he doesn't have to play great. He just has to be better. And it would help if he played a good game from start to finish. On the road, too, John. It would help if he played well on the road. He's significantly worse on the road in his short career than he's been at home. I was looking it up before you and I jumped on the air today. His passer rating on the road is 69.6. That's, to use your word, pathetic. It's That's bad. Under Honestly, in this, in this day and age in the NFL, the way everybody – kind of has figured out how to game the system with passer rating. If you're anything below like a 90 in passer rating, then you probably got questions about your game. And certainly if you're hovering around 81 where Davis Mills is on the season overall, we know what that's looked like. We've watched every snap of it. And he is, he's an 81 for the season for his career. He's below a 70 on the road. That's how bad he is. He's 10 points below what he's looked like throughout the course of this season. And other than the Jaguars, he's never won on the road. He's 2-8 and eight on the road, but those two wins came against Jacksonville, John. I'm at a stage with the Texans where I don't count wins against Jacksonville anymore when it comes to evaluating guys. Like, <laughs> it, they, they just they beat Jacksonville. Okay, they beat them all the time. Screw Jacksonville. I cannot let Jacksonville's mediocrity and, and just utter sheer football failure skew my evaluation of the, the Houston Texans either individually or as a team. Davis Mills has to play a good game on the road. I, and I don't want to hear any more from people about, well, he made these three great throws in a game. I'm with you. He's got to play well from beginning to end. And he's got to, he, he has got to show that he can go on the road in what I think will probably be a fairly hostile environment, New York, you know, it's, a, it's an afternoon game. So whatever, but um, you know, it's a, it's a giants crowd that's into their team and their teams, their team's good this year. So yeah, I'm with you. Davis Mills on the road, John, hundred percent is uh is one. Uh, my next one is Brandon Cooks. What are we going to see out of Brandon Cooks? He he didn't practice on Wednesday, which is normal. He usually gets a day's rest on Wednesday. Of course, he got plenty of rest last week, not playing in the Thursday night game. But what type of Brandon Cooks do we get? Well, first of all, is he going to play? I'm assuming he is. <clears throat> I know they listed his injuries before he um, before he took his ball and went home as wrist slash personal reasons. So hopefully his wrist is okay. Um but one, is he going to play? And if so, what kind of performance do we get from Brandon Cooks? I think the best thing for both parties, John, with Brandon Cooks and the Texans is that he comes back and balls out for these last nine games and makes himself a whole lot more marketable to other teams out there because that'll allow Nick Casario to give Brandon Cooks what he wants a whole lot easier, which is a trade. You know, play well so that you're more tradable. 
he's not going to ball out because he hadn't balled out all season because Mills and Pep Hamilton have done poor jobs. So I think he needs to come back and play hard. He's a block. He needs to make it where everybody can see he's all in on whatever's going on over there. And then he'll be gone. They won't get anything for him except a low draft choice before the draft, which is deep, deep, deep in receivers again. I think Casario made a big mistake for not taking whatever he could get. Uh, when he talks to the media, I'd expect him to have pablum. You know, he's not going to answer what were the lies that he was he's covered up for as he tweeted. I think he'll be his usual boring self. You know, I was, you know, when some guys are flighty and flaky, and when they do stuff like that, you, it's not surprising. But Brandon Cooks, I was so surprised based on everything I know or thought I know about him after covering him for into the third season. But his teammates seem to like him and respect him, and I'm sure they don't blame him for wanting to be traded. If you give an opportunity, all of them would probably be want to be traded. And uh, but he's got to play his butt off against the Giants, and 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 then he's going to catch some balls. Davis Mills has got to be able to get them to him accurately. Yep. What's your last one, John? The run defense, the worst in the league, one of the worst in NFL history, going up against Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, who can pull it in and take off uh, down the outside and or take off up the middle. They're the way they get killed by everybody. You know, they did. It's so funny. They gave up like 146 yards to the Eagles, and that was like, wow, their run defense was really good. And that's not good. It just wasn't pathetic like it usually is. I don't know how they're possibly going to be able to contain Barkley. Um, if you could, I would commit eight to the run, give them eight man fronts and make Daniel Jones throw the ball down the field and get beat by him and not the strength of their offense. Yeah, I, um, it's, uh, it's the, the I, I don't know, man, this run defense, John, the numbers, the numbers that they are eventually going to wind up with this year, I think you and I may have gone through this when we did the mailbag earlier this week. The running backs they play between now and the end of the year, I mean, they still they play Derrick Henry again. They play Travis Etienne, who all of a sudden has become one of the best backs in football this year. That pick is actually now looking really, really good for the Jags um, from, from two years ago. Uh, they play Nick Chubb still uh, and Saquon this weekend, John. It's just uh, – it, it's uh, – it's a murderer's run. They play the Cowboys still, who they, you know, the Cowboys run the football pretty well, mostly with Pollard these days, not Zeke. But um, it's uh, it might get worse before it gets better, and that's saying something because this run defense is really, really bad. My last thing, John, is it's on the Giants' side, and I'll be interested to see what the effect is and how the Texans attack it. But the one big Giants story from this week was their, their defensive play caller and third-year safety, uh, Xavier McKinney, uh, injured his hand in Cabo on an a, in an ATV accident. The, the, the Giants had their bye week this past week. So even this little quasi-bye the Texans are getting with extra rest, it's completely mitigated by the fact that the Giants actually had even longer rest going into this game, which is the second time that's happened. The Texans also shared a bye week with the Raiders earlier this year. So any advantage the Texans are getting out of Thursday games or bye weeks was completely nullified by, by the schedule makers, um, just as a weird aside. But McKinney is the Giants' defensive signal caller. Um, he's somebody, you know, he plays all their snaps. Um, he's out with an injury that was, you know, by all accounts, pretty stupid. You know, you're on, you're on an ATV in Cabo during the bye week, and you, you, you know, the, the ATV 
flips and you break your hand and now you're out for at least four weeks. He's on injured reserve. So I'll be interested to see if the Texans do anything to try to, um, to try to attack that, you know, is it, well, do they actually take some deep shots? You know, does Pep Hamilton try to do some things to confuse Julian Love, who I think is going to be the defensive signal caller for the Giants, but that's, that's a storyline from the Giants side of things. And if the Texans are trying to find little wrinkles to take advantage of, that's one of them. Give me a break. They're not Well, take advantage of anything. John, I'm trying to find six things to talk about. Okay. (laughs) They're so bad on offense, Sean, and you know this. I think they could, defense could play with eight players and they would somehow be unable to exploit it because of how bad they've been. You know, the defense has the most snaps by rookies in the NFL. That's not surprising considering how many they've been playing. And even though they've given up a lot of yards rushing, it's just I have higher hopes for the defense than the offense. I just can't tell you. And it's the passing games, not the running game. Damian Pierce is the best thing they got going on. Every time he gets the ball, I can't take my eyes off of him. But it's Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton and the receivers. Nico Collins is practicing. Maybe he'll be back after missing games with a grunt injury because he's averaging 16.9 yards a catch, and they need him desperately. All right, John. So there's our pregame six pack. What's your prediction on this game? It sounds like you think it's going to be uh, maybe a, a closer game than the experts think. I I think. Uh, let's see. You said the spread was six and a half. I'll six take, and a half. I'll take the Giants twenty to uh, fourteen. I have twenty to seventeen Giants. So you and I are on the same page there. Texans hang around again. They've hung around in every game for a while. Yeah. You know. So that's improvement hanging around in the fourth quarter before you go down the toilet. They're slow starters and they're slow finishers. And the third quarter is their best. And then I don't know that I've seen team just fold in the fourth quarter the way they do. And that's a lot. A lot of it's a lack of talent, but there's guys not playing as well as they did last year. This team, the record is going to be worse than it was last year by all accounts. And that's why it's so mystifying. And I'll tell you something else. After writing and covering the Astros so much, first time I've ever covered a champion, and then seeing how they operate and how they play and how clutch they are and how the fans are behind them, and then going back to covering the Texans again, it's kind of like, I guess, the difference between like eating uh, filet mignon and then going back to chopped liver. Yep. It's uh it it it's a real buzzkill. You're absolutely right. Uh, all right, John. Let's do a little for real or fugazi. I got a few of these here, and actually, the first three are all just assessments of teams that are underperforming right now, and just their their seasons over. So I got three of them here. So I'm gonna fire away. And of course, for those who are unfamiliar with this segment, I read a statement to John. He tells me if it's either for real, as in yeah, that's true, or fugazi, which is Italian for counterfeit, meaning that that statement is false. It is not true. All right, John, the Green Bay Packers are toast. For real. I watched that game on Sunday in which Aaron Rodgers was throwing red zone interceptions, and I thought, man, he looks like somebody that's just not into this season. And it's got to be mental. He just didn't get terrible in one off season because he's back-to-back MVP winner. But, man, he just looked disinterested. And I guess a lot of it has to do, they're not running the ball well. Their offensive line has been a disappointment. Their defensive line has been a disappointment. And then the general manager, Brian Gutekunst, didn't do anything to bring in any receivers to help them. And after losing 
uh, Devontae Adams, and and then there's stories up there that that uh, Matt Lafleur, the coach, and Aaron Rodgers have differences in philosophy. John, I was thinking about this. Like, is this? Well, let me save it because I got two more teams here, but then I got a broader thought on old quarterbacks. The Las Vegas Raiders are toast for real or fugazi. I'm going to say fugazi because they do have talent, but they've been blowing 17 point leads more than any team in history. You would think at some point they would not blow a 17-point lead. At least they got the 17-point lead. <laughs> they do have talent. They got talented receivers, Derek Carr. They've got running game with Josh Jacobs. It's amazing how little he's done since he just ransacked the Texans. And their defense is okay. And the division's nothing special other than the Chiefs. So I'm going to say they're not toast yet. Okay, and the last one of the three, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers off of a big win over the Rams this past weekend. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though, are toast, John. The gazy. Nobody's toast in that division. It's awful. <laughs> they got a losing record, and they're in first place, and Brady's only thrown one interception. Everybody wants to blame Brady. It's not his fault. He had six drop passes in that game he pulled out at yeah. the end, and – but they can't run the ball. The defense is not nearly as good. But in that division, you can win it. And who wants to play Tom Brady in the playoffs? John, I'm okay. So as far as older quarterbacks go, like above the age of 30, because I think Derek Carr is 30 now, 30 or 31. That I mean, that's where we are. He feels like he was drafted like two years ago. He's he's been in the league almost a decade now. I is it crazy for me to say that the best quarterback this year over the age of 30 is Kirk Cousins? Oh, boy, I'd have to think about it. Obviously, you've looked it up. How's Geno Smith? Geno Smith's 32. That's the other one I wanted to bring up. I'm going with Geno Smith. Okay, that's then that's even crazier than Kirk Cousins being the isn't best it? one. Isn't it? Geno Smith being the best quarterback over 30. It is amazing. It's wild. I'm just I'm skimming the standings, John, trying to find I'm trying to find a quarterback over the age of 30, other than those two, that's having a year that 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 they would be happy with you know ryan Tannehill is has not i know they're five and three he has not performed as well he's he's missed the last no, two games he is not and if you think back just last year rogers and brady were both great yeah i think it has more to do with the team around them than it does with them but geno smith's going to be comeback player of the year unless he wakes up and realizes he's <laughs> geno smith yeah all right let me do a few more of these john for real or fugazi if jeff saturday ends up working out for the colts and becomes their full-time head coach hiring former players with little to no coaching experience will become the next big thing for real or fugazi fugazi nobody's gonna be that stupid because he's not now jim ursay's talking about letting matt ryan play again even though he's the reason matt ryan uh, is not, was not playing because of uh, not wanting to take it. If, if Ryan can't pass physical in March, they're going to owe him another $17 million. Oh. And uh, they already owe him 12 next year. So that was about finances. Now he says it wasn't. It's all Frank Reich's pro uh, problem because he's the one that said Sam Elliger was going to play the rest of the season. So they're in total turmoil. They may get a big boost and win a game, but I certainly don't think it's going to be something that all of a sudden like, they look around and go, let's see, where could, oh, Rusk High School up in Texas. Let's hire, let's hire that offensive coordinator, Josh McCown. 
All right, I got three more, John. They're all Astros related, so let's rapid fire these. The 2022 World Series, I don't know if you saw this, John, the second lowest rated World Series in history on television behind the COVID World Series. Is that a sign that the Astros are still hated by the United States of America? Uh, for gays, it is a sign that people still don't care about baseball like they do football every year. They have, if they had the Yankees and the Dodgers, it would be good, not great. But so many people are not watching the World Series and they haven't in quite a while. Did you know, John, though, that uh, just five years ago, the viewership, like the viewership has plummeted in five years. And I think might have to do with just how many options are out there to view things and people viewing, you know, on DVR and getting caught up and things like that. But the, the, I saw in the same article that I saw the ratings for game game six of this World Series drew about 13 million viewers on TV, not including on the app and streaming and things like that. Game seven, well, game six of the 2017 World Series, so not even the deciding game, drew over 22 million. And game seven drew 28 million. Like that's twice the audience size. In, in five years, you know, just five years ago. So, I mean, to your point, you know, just not as many people watching baseball. It, I, well, just I think to- you're you're right about streaming. There's so much st- more streaming over the last five years. I think it's all about that. Plus, the Dodgers were in it, and they yeah. command yeah. a much bigger following. And and uh, that, to me, it, that made the most sense. But people are not watching TV the way they used to, especially young people. Yep, no doubt about that. All right, two more, John. The Astros would be better off taking the $40 million per year it might cost to keep Verlander and give it to Aaron Judge. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi. That sounds like Landry Locker. There's no way <laughs> Jim Crane is going to let – He's going to let George Springer walk and Carlos Correa walk, and he's, that's not his philosophy to do that. And he's not going to give he's not going to give Verlander forty million a year either. No, he's not. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, so it's, no, I don't think that Aaron Judge is is possible here unless Landry Rocker is down in Galveston walking on the beach and finds a lantern washed up <laughs> out of the Gulf and rubs it, and a genie comes out. Aaron Rodgers ain't Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Judge ain't coming to Houston. Yeah, better chance to come to Houston. Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Judge? For real or Fugazi? <laughs> All right, John, last one. For real or Fugazi? All championship parades should end with speeches on the steps of City Hall. For real or Fugazi? For real, I think they should. That's where most of them do, and I think that is ideal. Plus, it helps the politicians get even more attention. Do you were you disappointed that this one didn't end with uh, that the Astros? They just basically just jumped off all those fire trucks and double decker buses and went on to their next party. I was because I think some of your top players, your manager, they need to make speeches because that's what the fans want to see. And I thought it would have been much better uh, at City Hall. Yeah, we'll see. I think, you know, John, my guess is as as someone who went to the parade, I mean, you saw the route. It just basically just went straight down Smith Street, like a straight line. Um, My feeling was, uh, I mean, I may be wrong. You know, this, this is just my gut feeling is that without doing those speeches there, they don't have that log jam of people all in one place. I, I will tell you, it was an extremely efficiently run parade. It was really, really good. The city did a tremendous job with this, I thought. Well, they're starting to get uh, experience doing it now. They, they are. may be able to do it again next year. The only thing I could think of is if you started over at Minute Maid and you went up uh, to the convention center and came straight down to City Hall, but you're right, it would have been a lot of people, but 
we don't have some places that are wide open at City Hall the way some other cities do. Yeah. But I don't think anybody was complaining about it other than the heat, unusually high heat. Yep. No period. doubt. No doubt. All right. So that was for real or for Gazy. John, what do you got going on? We got uh, we got a game coming up again on Sunday this week. I have on uh, sportsradio610.com uh, observations on the Texans and the Giants. I have on Gallery Sports a column about the news conference today between Jim Crane and Dusty Baker coming back and where, of course, Jameis Click stands. I thought that news conference gave enough information for me to write three or four columns off of it. Yeah, a lot of storylines with the Astros. So, John, we look forward to all your coverage on that and on the Texans, and I always look forward to doing this podcast with you, John. We'll do it again. We'll recap everything on uh, Monday next week. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. That's good stuff. John McClain and, of course, Figgy Fig, thank you for getting this podcast out to everybody. Big thanks to Figgy, and big thanks to all of you for listening. If you want to send in a, a question for our mailbag episode, we run that. Uh, we record it every Tuesday. Mailbag at gmail.com is how you get us your questions. You guys have been doing a great job with that. Um, and, of course, tell all your friends to download, share, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star review if you're so inclined as well. For the great one, John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast, and we are out of time. Enjoy the game this weekend, everybody. We'll be back on Monday with the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great weekend.